Canals are waterway channels or artificial waterways for servicing water transportation vehicles. They carry free surface flow under atmospheric pressure and can even be thought of as artificial rivers. In most cases, a canal has a series of dams and locks that create reservoirs of low-speed current flow. These reservoirs are referred to as slack water levels or just called levels. The oldest known canals were irrigation canals built in Mesopotamia around 4000 BC in what is now Iraq and Iraq. The Indus Valley Civilization of ancient India around 2600 BC had sophisticated irrigation and storage systems developed, including the reservoirs built at Ginnar in about 3000 BC. Over in Egypt, canals date back to at least the time of Pepi I, who reigned between 2332 and 2283 BC. He ordered a canal built to bypass the cataract on the Nile near Aswan. In ancient China, large canals for river transportation were established as far back as the spring and autumn period, that's the 8th to the 5th centuries BC the longest one of that period being the Hong Gao Canal, also known as the Canal of the Wild Geese, which according to ancient historians, connected the old states of Sao, Zhang, Chen, Kai, Tao, and Wei. By far, the longest canal was, is, the Grad Canal of China, still the longest canal in the world today and the oldest extant one. It is 1,794 kilometers long. That is 1,115 miles. It was built to carry the Emperor Yang Guang between Beijing and Hangzhou. The project began in 605 AD and was completed in 609 AD. Although much of the work combined older canals, the oldest section of the canal existing since at least 486 BC. Even at its narrowest urban sections, it is rarely less than 30 meters wide. Aside from its long length, its greatest height is reached in the mountains of Shandong at a summit of 42 meters. Ships in Chinese canals did not have trouble reaching higher elevations after the pound lock was invented in the 10th century during the Song dynasty. The canal has been admired by many throughout history, including the Japanese monk Enin, Persian historian Rashid al-Din, Korean official Cho Wu, and the Italian missionary Matteo Ricci. As well as its present-day course, 14 centuries of canal building have left the Grand Canal with a number of historical sections. Some of these have disappeared. Others are still partially extant, and others form the basis for the modern canal. China in general has a very rich history of canal building. Greek engineers were also among the first to use canal locks by which they regulated the water flow in the ancient Suez Canal as early as the 3rd century BC. Yes, you heard that right. In the 3rd century BC, there was an ancient Suez Canal. Ancient 
before the 3rd century BC. That means it was very, very old. Ancient west-east canals were built to facilitate travel from the Nile River to the Red Sea. One smaller canal is believed to have been constructed under the auspices of Sennacherib II, the fourth pharaoh of the 12th dynasty of Egypt. He ruled from 1897 BC to 1878 BC. Another canal, probably incorporating a portion of the first, later, much later, added to by Ramesses II. Other parts of the canal were constructed under the reign of Nicho II, but the only fully functional canal was engineered and completed by Darius I after the Persian invasion of Egypt. Sometimes also known as the Canal of the Pharaohs, it is the forerunner to what would become the Suez Canal. This canal, constructed in ancient times and kept in use with intermissions until being closed for good in 767 AD for strategic reasons during a rebellion. It followed a different course from its modern counterpart by linking the Nile to the Red Sea via the Wadi Tamulat. Remnants of an ancient west-east canal through the ancient cities of Bubatis, Pyramuses, and Pitom were discovered by Napoleon Bonaparte and his engineers in 1799. In 1854, just 55 years after Napoleon's discovery, Ferdinand de Lesseps obtained a concession from Said Pasha, the Sultan of Egypt and Sudan, to create a company to construct a canal open to ships of all nations. The company was to operate the canal for 99 years from its opening. De Lesseps had used his friendly relationship with Said, which he had developed while he was a French diplomat there in the 1830s. The International Commission for the Piercing of the Isthmus of Suez was the feasibility study conducted in 1855. The idea of digging a canal through this Isthmus of Suez was attracting widespread interest throughout Europe in the early 19th century. Napoleon's surveyors in his campaign in Egypt had found a difference of some nine meters between the levels of the two seas. The complete commission convened again on the 23rd of June, 1856 in Paris. During three days, the members discussed the results of the investigation in Egypt and all details of the future canal. The British government had opposed the project from the outset to its completion. The British, who controlled both the Cape Route and the Overland Route to India and the Far East, favoured the status quo, given that a canal might disrupt their commercial and maritime supremacy. Lord Palmerston, the project's most unwavering foe, confessed in the mid-1850s that the real motive behind his opposition, that Britain's commercial and maritime relations would be overthrown by the opening of a new route open to all nations and thus deprive his country of its present exclusive advantages. Initially, international opinion was quite sceptical and Suez Canal company shares did not sell well overseas. Britain, Austria and Russia did not buy a significant number of shares. However, 
with assistance from the Katui banking family and their relationship with James de Rothschild of France, the bonds and shares were successfully promoted and sold in France mainly and other parts of Europe. Work started on the shore of the future Port Said on the 25th of April 1859. The excavation took some 10 years, with forced labour being employed until 1864 to dig out the canal. Some sources estimate that over 30,000 people were working on the canal at any given period, and that more than 1.5 million people from various countries were employed, and that tens of thousands of labourers died from disease and epidemics. The canal ultimately opened under French control in November 1869. On the morning of the 17th of November, a procession of ships entered the canal. On the 25th of November, 1875, the United Kingdom became a minority shareholder in the company, acquiring 44%, with the remainder being controlled by French business syndicates. In 1882, the UK invaded and occupied Egypt. The canal remained in control of the Suez Canal Company, a private entity. When the British left in 1936, they, the British, kept control of the canal by establishing the Suez Canal Zone. On the 13th of June 1956, the Suez Canal Zone was restored to Egyptian sovereignty, following British withdrawal and years of negotiations. Just months earlier, Egypt nationalized the company. Its Egyptian assets, rights and obligations were transferred to the Suez Canal Authority that compensated the previous owners at the established pre-nationalization price. Egypt closed the canal to Israeli shipping as part of a broader blockade. In 1956, what was what we know today as the Suez Crisis occurred. That was an invasion of Egypt in late 1956 by Israel, followed by the United Kingdom and France, with the aim to regain control of the Suez Canal for the Western powers and to remove Egyptian President Kamal Abdel Nasser who was a chap who had just nationalized this canal. After the fighting had started, political pressure from the United States, the Soviet Union and the United Nations led to a withdrawal by the three invaders. This episode humiliated the United Kingdom and France and strengthened Nasser. By December 1956, the canal zone was restored to Egyptian control following French and British troop withdrawal and the landing of UN peacekeepers. Between the 5th of June 1967 to the 10th of June 1975, the canal was blocked by Egypt following the war with Israel. It became the front line during the ensuing war of attrition and the 1973 war, remaining closed to international shipping until the general agreement was near. Most recently to the date of publish of this podcast, earlier in 2021, the Ever Given a Panama-flagged container ship ran aground and became stuck across the southern section of the canal. The blockage prevented movement through the canal, causing nearly US dollars 10 billion worth of disruptions in shipping traffic each day and creating a large traffic jam of ships on both sides. The time saved by using the canal in the 19th century for an assumed steamship trip to Bombay from Genoa was 32 days saved. From Marseille, 31 days. From Bordeaux, Liverpool, London, Amsterdam and Hamburg, 24 days were saved. The modern canal system was mainly a product of the 18th century and early 19th century. It came into being 
because of the Industrial Revolution that began in Britain during the mid-18th century and demanded an economic and reliable way to transport goods and commodities in large quantities. The claim for the first pure canal in Great Britain is debated between Sansky and Bridgewater supporters. First true canal in what is now the United Kingdom was the Newry Canal in Northern Ireland, constructed by Thomas Sears in 1741. The Sankey Brook navigation, which connected St. Helens with the River Mersey, is often claimed as the first modern purely artificial canal, because although originally a scheme to make the Skansky Brook navigable, it included an entirely new artificial channel that was effectively a canal along the Skanky Brook Valley. However, Bridgewater supporters point out that the last quarter mile of the navigation is indeed a canalized stretch of the brook, and that it was the Bridgewater Canal, less obviously associated with an existing river, that captured the popular imagination and inspired further canals. In the mid-18th century, the third Duke of Bridgewater, who owned a number of coal mines in northern England, wanted a reliable way to transport his coal to the rapidly industrializing city of Manchester. He commissioned the engineer James Brindley to build a canal for that purpose. Brindley's design included an aqueduct carrying the canal over the river Arwell. This was an engineering wonder which immediately attracted tourists. The construction of this canal was funded entirely by the Duke and was called the Bridgewater Canal. It opened in 1761 and was the first major British canal. These new canals proved highly successful. The boats on the canal were horse-drawn with a towpath along the canal for the horse to walk along. The horse-drawn system proved to be highly economical and became standard across the British Canal network. Commercial horse-drawn canal boats could be seen on the UK's canal until as late as the 1950s. Although by then diesel-powered boats often towing a second unpowered boat had become standard. Canal companies were initially chartered by individual states in the United States. These early canals were constructed, owned, and operated by private joint stock companies. Four were completed when the War of 1812 broke out. These were the South Headley Canal, opened in 1795 in Massachusetts. The Stansdee Canal, opened in 1800 in South Carolina. The Middlesex Canal, opened in 1802 in Massachusetts. And the Dismal Swamp Canal, opened in 1805 in Virginia. The Irie Canal, opened in 1825, was chartered and owned by the state of New York and financed by bonds brought by private investors. The idea of the Panama Canal dates back to 1513, when Basau Nunes de Baloba first crossed the Itmus. The narrow land bridge between North and South America houses the Panama Canal, a water passage between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. The earliest European colonists recognized this potential and several proposals for a canal were made. By the late 19th century, technological advances and commercial pressure allowed construction to begin in earnest. Noted canal engineer Ferdinand de Lesseps, yes, that same de Lesseps of Suez Canal fame, led an initial attempt by France to build a sea-level canal beset by cost overruns due to the severe underestimation of the difficulties excavating the rugged Panama land, heavy personnel losses in Panama due to tropical diseases, and political corruption in France surrounding the financing of this massive project, 
the canal was only partially complete. Interest in a U.S.-led canal effort picked up as soon as France abandoned the project. Initially, the Panama site was politically unfavorable in the U.S. for a variety of reasons, including the taint of the failed French efforts and the Colombian government's unfriendly attitude towards the U.S. since continuing the project. The United States first sought to construct a completely new canal through Nicaragua instead. However, French engineer and financier Philippe Jean Bonneau Barilla played a key role in changing U.S. attitudes. He had a large stake in the failed French canal company and stood to make money on its investment only if the Panama Canal was completed. Extensive lobbying of U.S. lawmakers coupled with his support for a nascent independence movement among the Panamanian people led to a simultaneous revolution in Panama and the negotiation of the Hay Bonao Varela Treaty, which secured both independence for Panama and the right for the U.S. to lead a renewed effort to construct the canal. Colombia's response to the Panamanian independence movement was tempered by U.S. military presence. The U.S. relied on a stratified workforce to build the canal. High-level engineering jobs, clerical positions, skilled labor, and jobs in supporting industries were generally reserved for Americans, with manual labor primarily by cheap immigrant labor. These jobs were initially filled by Europeans, primarily from Spain, Italy, and Greece, many of whom were radical and militant due to political turmoil back in Europe. The U.S. then decided to recruit primarily from the British and French West Indies, and these workers provided most of the manual labor on the canal. On the 7th of January, 1914, French crane boat Alexandra de Valais became the first to make the traverse, and on the 1st of April, 1914, the construction was officially completed with the handover of the project from the construction company to the canal zone government. The outbreak of World War I caused the cancellation of any official grand opening celebration and the canal officially opened commercial traffic on the 15th of August 1914 with the transit of the SS Ancon. This canal saves a total of about 7,800 miles, which is about 12,600 kilometers, on a sea trip from New York to San Francisco. A total of over 75,000 people worked on the project. At the peak of construction, there were 40,000 workers. According to hospital records, 5,609 workers died from disease and accidents during the American construction era. After construction, the canal and the canal zone surrounding it were administered by the United States. On the 7th of September 1977, U.S. President Jimmy Carter signed the Torojos Carter Treaty setting in motion the process of transferring control of the canal to Panama. The treaty became effective on the 1st of October 1979, providing for a 20-year period in which Panama would have increasing responsibility for canal operations before complete U.S. withdrawal on the 31st of December 1999. Since then, the canal has been administered by the Panama Canal Authority. One to look out for is the proposed and somewhat so far delayed Thai Canal or Kaira Canal proposed for a canal that would connect the Gulf of Thailand with the Ardman Sea across the Kaira Itmus in southern Thailand. 
it is envisaged that such a canal would improve transportation in the region similar to the Panama and Suez canals. This canal would provide an alternative to transit through the Straits of Malacca and shorten transit for shipments of oil to Japan and China by 1,200 kilometers. However, like the Suez and the Panama canals, this would be both an economic boon and a geopolitical hot potato. Similar to Suez, it is strategically positioned, in this case allowing Chinese navy to enter quickly across to the Ardman Sea, confronting the Indian Navy. Anyhow, that hasn't been built yet, but that raises the question, how are canals built exactly? Well, canals are built in one of three ways, or a combination of the three ways depending on the available water and the available path. One is a human-made stream. Two is the canalization and navigations of the stream. And the third is a lateral canal near a stream. So in the human-made stream, a canal can be created where no stream exists. So either the body of the canal is dug or the sides of the canal are created by making dikes or levees by piling dirt, stone, concrete, or other building materials. In other words, it's built entirely by people. A street, the second version, is the canalization and navigations version. A steam stream can be canalized to make its navigable path more predictable and easier to maneuver. Canalization modifies the stream to carry more traffic safely by controlling the flow of the stream by dredging, damming, and modifying its path. Finally, natural canals. This is when a stream is too difficult to modify with canalization, so a second stream can be created next to or at least near the pre-existing stream. This is called a lateral canal and may meander in a large horseshoe bend or a series of curves of some distance from the source water stream. At their simplest, canals consist of a trench filled with water. Canals need to be level and while small irregularities in the lie of the land can be dealt with through cuttings and embankments, for the larger deviations, other approaches have to be adapted. The most common is the pound lock, which consists of a chamber within the water level where, where, whereby it can be raised or lowered, connecting either two pieces of a canal at different levels or over the sea. When there is a hill to be climbed, flights of many locks in short succession may be used. Today, many of the canals are in outstanding condition and worthy of visits. Those in places like Holland are famous for their sightseeing and the ones in Suez and Panama are amazing simply for their engineering marvels. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Alternative History Podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you.